This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Uh, Father, we come confident that it is you in answer to our prayer, that you be the one to speak, you be the one who is intent and eager to feed your people. So Father, please help us to hear your word, please change us and transform us by your spirit, through your word we pray, to your glory, in Jesus' name, Amen. So we have here in uh, Isaiah 61, uh, something that the servant, the Messiah figure says. And the, the context of Isaiah 61 is we have seen in this new section of 56 to 66, the Lord concerned with righteousness and justice. And we've seen in the ensuing chapters in the, you know, 57, 58 and all that, that the Lord's people lack this righteousness and justice. And we saw last week how in Isaiah 60, God promises to do, promises to make his unrighteous people righteous, to do for them what they could not do for themselves, to produce in them what they could not produce in themselves. And so we have here in uh, Isaiah 61 that this righteousness will be accomplished through this figure. Uh, this figure that we've met, you know, we've seen him as the servant and we've seen him as this uh, kingly figure. So he's not two different people, this is one and the same person. Uh, it is through this person that God's purposes of making his people righteous and just. That's how it will come about. Now, I'm sure in your Bible studies, you would have looked at Luke chapter 4, because in Luke chapter 4, Jesus quotes this very passage at the beginning of his ministry. After he is baptized by John, he returns to Nazareth. And uh, we read that. Let me read it for you. And uh, he returns to where he's been brought up in Nazareth, And on the Sabbath day, he goes into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And one of the attendants passed him a scroll, and the scroll uh, would have been taken out of a a wooden box, and probably wrapped in cloth, and the attendant would have taken the scroll that would have been marked Isaiah. And it would have been a big scroll, and Jesus would have unrolled, unrolled, until he found the place where Isaiah 61 is written. And so he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now many times in that synagogue, this passage would have been read. And all the people in the synagogue would have been, yes, you know, thanking God that, Yes, God, you are so good that you, one day you will promise, you know, this, 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 this king, this servant will come, you know, one day, you know, someday this one will come who will accomplish this, bring in the year of God's favor, accomplish your purposes. Then as Jesus rolls up the scroll, he gives it back to the attendant, he sits down, and then, you know, everyone naturally looking at him, seeing what he would say. And I like to imagine quite undramatically, Jesus says, 
today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Not someday, but today. Today it is fulfilled because this one, this Messiah, servant, this figure who will bring in the year of God's favour, this one has now come. They need wait no longer. That day has come. And so we are people who uh, stand after the ministry of Jesus and we look back on the things that Jesus has fulfilled. And hopefully in looking at Isaiah 61 together, we will rejoice together. We will be grateful together for what God has promised that has now come true in Jesus. That our gratitude may be full, that our joy may be full for what God has done for us in Jesus. Now, since we are talking about uh, Luke 4, uh, some of you have noticed this in your Bible study, but Jesus purposefully stopped the reading in the middle of the verse. So he read until to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and then he stopped. Now, if you, if you compare with Isaiah 61, it's mid-sentence. Because Isaiah 61 actually continues to and the day of vengeance of our God. So again, I think quite deliberately Jesus stopped where he stopped because in his coming, the today of the fulfillment of him being here signals the year. This is the year of God's favor where people can receive salvation. That day of God's vengeance will come but it is a day that is far off but for now the focus is on what this Messiah servant has come to bring in the year of God's favour so let's uh, look at Isaiah 61 and uh, even though the outline wasn't written by me but I'll, I'll try and use it so the first point the anointed one this Messiah servant he comes to bring the Lord's favour. Now, I have uh, experience of coming across uh, Isaiah 61, Luke chapter 4, being used to promote uh, social justice. So, uh, maybe that's been your experience as well. Because, you know, the, the verses actually say, proclaim good news to the poor, you know, it's to bind up the brokenhearted, you know, it's freedom for the captives, you know, those who mourn, and... And these verses have been used to encourage and to urge and to say, okay, the, the, the church must not neglect her duty of social justice. Because Jesus, you know, when he came, his first words, you know, this is manifesto, is that he should care for the poor. And so, uh, you know, many social justice movements, campaigns have been launched uh, on the back of these verses. Now, obviously, it is uh, not wrong to care for the poor, but I think we need to be clear that what Jesus is talking about here, what Isaiah is talking about here, is not alleviating the standard of living of the materially poor. Because the change that this anointed one brings about, the year of the Lord's favour, that when it comes, the, the, the transformation it makes 
is not so much material but fundamentally spiritual. Okay, so just look with me uh, at the end of verse 3. After what this servant Messiah does, the result is they will be called oaks of righteousness. And then uh, in verse 10, the praising of the Lord, for what reason? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation, arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Okay, so I think hopefully we can be clear, we can agree that uh, the focus here is not alleviating those who are materially poor, but rather the poor here are the spiritually poor, those who are poor in righteousness, those who lack righteousness. He has sent uh, me to bind up the brokenhearted, those who are brokenhearted, who, who are mourning over their sin, over their lack of righteousness. And those who are captives, those who are prisoners, who are, who are in darkness, it's not the darkness of a physical dungeon, but being enslaved to our sin. And so the work of this servant Messiah is to set these slaves of sin free. So that we are now called oaks of righteousness, we are arrayed with his righteousness. Okay, so I hope we can uh, agree that that's the, that's the case. Now I want to say, obviously, that um, this is the, the mission, the focus of the Messiah. It is spiritual, not so much material. But we did come across in Isaiah 58 where God was lamenting about the religious fasting of his people, how they you know, do the external thing, but then God says, you know, their hearts are far from me. You know, the, the, the sort of fasting that I like to see, God says, is you feed the hungry, you clothe the naked, you care for the poor. Now, the hungry and the naked and the poor there are the literal people who are poor. So, uh, we, we, I, I hope you're clear. The, the, the main mission of Jesus is spiritual. But the people that he has worn to himself, redeemed by his blood, that true religion, some aspect that he loves to see, obviously it's not just a religious show, you know, coming to church, serving on a roster. Something that he longs to see is that there is this genuine compassion. Uh, uh, a care for the poor. So I said to my Bible study group when we studied Isaiah 58 that we cannot just look at you know, what he has said in Isaiah 58 and then okay, move on to the next chapters. But I think it has highlighted uh, an area that we need to think about. We need to think about what is the appropriate way for us in Singapore today as uh, God's people, what will it mean like for us to care for the poor, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked? Like This is a conversation that we must begin to have. Because I think quite clearly we cannot escape from Isaiah 58 that this is what God wants to see. He longs to see this in his people. Okay, but having said that, that is not the, the main mission of the church. That is not the main mission of this servant Messiah. He has come 
to proclaim good news to the poor, those who are spiritually poor, those who lack righteousness, that this servant Messiah has come and he has reversed your fortunes. Uh, verse 3, those who grieve in Zion, those who grieve over their sin, they need grief no longer. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Why? Because what they lack, what they are so enslaved to, Jesus has come and reversed their fortunes, given them righteousness, so that they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. This is what Jesus has come to do. Okay, hopefully that's clear. It is spiritual. Now we want to move on to the reason, uh, the reason for why God has sent this servant Messiah to do that. And you see it's at the end of verse 3. It is for the display of his splendor. So Jesus comes, he does this work in God's people, giving them a righteousness that they lack, making them oaks of righteousness. And the reason is so that we may glorify God. That the people of God are so changed that the world should look at that and give glory to God. Now we see hints of this throughout the, uh, the chapter. Look down with me to verse 6. Uh, as a result of the work of Jesus, what will happen? You will be called priests of the Lord. Now in uh, Israel, it was only one tribe from whom the priests would come. right? And obviously the priests would serve the, the rest of the, the other tribes. But if now all of God's people who have been you know, redeemed by this servant Messiah, if all of them are called priests, then who are we mediating? Who are we mediating God to? I mean, you know, like, don't call me the priest. I'm not a priest. I'm not, I'm not some special priest in the sense that, you, in a way that you are not, that, that I'm mediating God to you. No, I'm not. I'm just, you know, pastor, teacher. All of us, redeemed by the work of Jesus, we are priests. And so who are we mediating God to? And I think the obvious answer is to the rest of the world. That we are called and made and we become God's people, changed and transformed to mediate. So that when, uh, I think as uh, in our Bible study group, uh, Calissa quoted her husband, uh, Nick Wong, you know, what does it mean for uh, people to glorify God? For, for God's people to display something of God's splendor. It is when in your workplace, or in your family, or in your recreational you know, groups, whatever, people look at you and then they see that difference and then they go, Wow! You do like that? Ah? Your God must be quite great. Ah, okay, that's English. Lah. Okay, but you know, you get it? They, they look at you and they see that difference they see that there's something, hey, how come you're not responding in resentment after what he did to you? I mean, how come you're not taking revenge as, as you know, I would be doing? Oh, no. oh, okay, it's because of your God. Why wow, your God must be quite great. Okay, so that's the, that's the reason that uh, Isaiah says, 
as a result of the servant Messiah's work, the transformation in God's people, it is for the display of his splendor. I wonder how in the forefront of our minds we are aware that this is where God has placed us and he's placed us there for this reason, that we may, you know, in some small way reflect something of the greatness, something of the character of the God who has so loved us and redeemed us and changed us. So where you are in that company, that cubicle, the work that you're given to do, that relationship that you have, uh, in your family, friends, I think let's encourage each other, okay, like, you know, instead of thinking, you know, okay, in this situation, what's best for me, what's in my interest, I mean, like, we need to train ourselves, encourage each other to think, okay, in this situation, how should I respond? that I may more display something of the splendor of the God who has so loved me and saved me. Now in verses uh, 4 and 5, we see something of the blessing that uh, God's people receive and is described in material ways. Okay, So in verse 4, the ancient ruins will be rebuilt uh, verse 5, strangers will shepherd your flocks, you know, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, you know, oh, you don't have to do it yourself, people are doing it for you, it's so nice, you know. Um, and then verse 6, you will feed on the wealth of nations. Okay, I think the reason for this is uh, in the Old Testament, part of the way God's blessing, God's favor is described, right, it is, you know, done through material, uh, in a material way. And Isaiah writing to these people, remember they have uh, been told because of God's judgment, they will experience exile. But because of God's favor, they will return from exile. The exile will not be the end for them. And so they will return. And so part of this describing of uh, the year's favor, this blessing that this servant Messiah brings about, it is described in terms of a return from exile. And so obviously, if they return from exile, and then they come back, and then Israel, the, the nation, is, you know, like, so dilapidated, then, like, you know, obviously, like, you know, must well stay in Babylon, right? So obviously, part of the promise is describing that Israel will be rebuilt, that, you know, it will be beautiful, that the promised land is your real home, and this is where you will receive God's blessing. But let's be clear that the material part is just uh, complementary, the the main promise, as I've tried to say again and again, is spiritual, that spiritual transformation. And I think we see that clearly in verse 7, uh, where a double portion is promised to the people. And it says, everlasting joy will be yours. So as they return to the land, as they are changed and transformed by God, this everlasting joy is promised them. And the reason, verse 8, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. So this everlasting joy that they have is because God has made an everlasting covenant. 
So God's covenant is His promise, His pledge to His people. So it is, it is because God has made this everlasting covenant, this pledge. Now what is at the heart of this pledge, this promise God has made? Well, throughout the Old Testament, it is uh, summarized in this phrase, they will be my people. I will be their God. At the heart of what God has promised is relationship, relationship with Him. And so at the heart of God's people, their double portion of blessing, you know, the, uh, what they receive from Him is essentially God Himself. That is why we are promised everlasting joy because we are promised an everlasting relationship with this God. And so their descendants will be known among the nations, their offspring among the peoples. See, once again, highlighting the fact that we live in this world amongst people and our job is to reflect something of God's character so that people will see and acknowledge, wow, your God is great. So this brings us to uh, verse 10 and uh, point 2 of... uh, the outline. Okay, don't worry about the outline. Okay, like I said, I didn't write it. Um, okay, I, I, the way I see verse 10 and 11 is that it is said, this is the voice of one of the people that has received this work of the servant Messiah. So the guy who says, I delight greatly in the Lord, my soul rejoices in my God. This is the voice of one of the people that has been blessed through the work of this servant Messiah. And so he says, I delight, my soul rejoices. And the reason? For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Now I just want to uh, camp there for a while and think through the meaning and implications of that with us and spend the rest of our time thinking about this phrase. This is the result of Jesus' work. Now obviously in the original audience of Isaiah and for generations since, when they, when they read Isaiah 61, all they can do is look forward. Ah, someday, right? someday this one will come who will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. This righteousness that we lack, somehow he will clothe us in a robe of his righteousness. And of, of course, understandably, they would not know, they could not see unable to comprehend how exactly God would bring it about. But for us who live this side of the cross, who have the New Testament scriptures explaining to us what Jesus has done. And then I think in our reading, why Pastor Andrew chose it, is because those who are praising God in heaven, John says, hey, you know, uh, like he's asked, where did they come from? And then he, he don't know, right? And, and the answer is they have come out of the tribulation. And the tribulation is referring to this age, right? Between the first and the second coming of, of Jesus, it is this whole period where we will experience tribulation. We have come out of that and our robes are white. And our robes are white because they have been washed in blood. Now, it doesn't make sense. If you wash anything in blood, it becomes red. 
But obviously this is symbolic, this is metaphorical, because it is talking about that theme explained and celebrated in the New Testament of how it is the shedding of Jesus' blood, how it is on the cross by his death that he has taken on our sin and conferred to us his righteousness. That's why the robes we wear are white because it's washed in his blood, cleansed by his his work on the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus became Peter the denier. He became Paul the persecutor. He became David the adulterer, murderer. He became that husband who cheated on his wife. He became that girl who, who cheated on her exam. He became that, that, that boy who is addicted to porn. He became, he became, he took on the sin of all of God's people and he, he experienced the wrath of God. The punishment that was due to us, Jesus, by his death, exhausted, drank that bowl of God's wrath, bone dry, so that our punishments could not be held against us anymore. And instead of our sin, our dirty rags, we can be clothed with his righteousness, the active obedience of Jesus, the moment by moment, consistent, never for a single second, falling below God's standard, that righteousness that Jesus earned, credited to God's people. That is the robe of righteousness that we have. Not something we've earned, but something that Jesus has given to us. And and God looks at us, right? He looks at us, and though we are sinners, though in the next five minutes we will sin, but because we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, God looks and he sees that righteousness. It is just as if we have not sinned. That is how God sees us. And so the implications of what Jesus has accomplished. Okay, so like, you know, some of the things we've heard in Isaiah 61 might be new, you know, or, you know, okay. You know, but, but this part, I'm sure, if you come to church for any amount of time, you know that this is what Jesus did, right? The, the, the most important sentence in the whole Bible, some people have said, right? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what the audience of Isaiah could, 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 could not see clearly. With now the coming of the one who said, today, uh, today this is fulfilled in your hearing, the one who has come and who has done this. We know how he's done it now. By his death. Because he has become sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God. Now what does that mean? That means you don't have to work for your righteousness. It means that if you have the righteousness of Christ credited to you, you need not fear lacking any righteousness. Now some of us, if we struggle with sin and sometimes we, we give in to temptation and we mess up really bad, and we could be tempted to think, 
that that sin, that failure has messed us up so bad that you know I, I'm no longer worthy. And what we are doing when we say that, I mean, it sounds humble. But what we are doing is we are actually going to Jesus and saying, your blood is not enough. What you've done on the cross is not... Yes, it can cleanse you know, these other people for their you know, reasonable everyday sins. You know, yeah, I believe that. But this sin, this struggle... Jesus, your blood is not enough. Okay, no, don't say that. Don't think that. Because it is the Son of God who was on that cross naked and dying for you. It had the power to save every single living thing in the universe if God wanted to. So no matter what you've done, no matter how far you fall, you must never think. That the blood of Jesus is not enough. As long as you come back and you trust that, it has the power to save every single one. Cover and pay for every single one of your sins. And so the, the, this believer in Isaiah 61 says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices. Now I think this tells us there is a difference between Knowing, knowing the gospel, knowing in our heads what Jesus has done. There's a difference between simply just knowing it versus delighting, rejoicing in it. Because to delight and to rejoice means I'm standing firmly and solely on what Jesus has done. And so if I'm standing solely and firmly on what Jesus has done. That means I'm not standing on some other thing. And you see, the tendency for all of us is, if you think of righteousness as a, a record, like a CV, you know, like, so if you apply for a company, you want to produce, you know, show the company that you have the record, the CV, that would earn you approval, that you can be part of this company. Or a school, you know, like some of our uh, youth taking PSLE now. And I mean, they're, they're trying to boost their record as high as possible so that they can be approved, accepted by the school of their choice. So you can think of righteousness as this record. And so throughout our lives, we are always trying to add to that record. We are trying to boost our record. We are trying to say, okay, because... My children are so well behaved, I can be accepted in this group. Or because, you know, my company is so successful, or because, you know, I manage, uh, you know, stress so well, or because, uh, you know, I, 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 I drive this car, or because I can sing so well, or because, you know, I, I have uh, such success in ministry, because of all these things, I should be accepted. But that is not rejoicing. That is not delighting greatly in the righteousness that God has given in Christ. That is actually standing, at least with one leg, on our own righteousness. And you see the great danger of that. Let me just share with you a story. What a blessing that we as God's people have received. Because at Bible study this week, uh, one of the group members told me, uh, someone who was not a Christian, right, his friend, uh, 
his uh, father is some you know special you know operations instructor, some you know famous army uh, person, and all his life you know uh, this the, the son wanted to be like his dad, and so he did well in army. He signed on, you know. He obviously was very fit and excelled well, but as he was going through uni, this girl that he liked. This girl that he loved rejected him because this girl did not want to marry a soldier. This girl said, no, no, I, I want to marry someone who's rich. And if you're just a soldier, you know, you're signed on, you know, yeah, you may be a great soldier, but you're never going to be rich. So the girl rejected him. And so you know what, uh, what, the, the, what the guy did? He actually broke bond. And so his soldier father had to pay back the government $150,000 because he broke his bond. And so instead of being a soldier, obviously in something that he excelled at, he became a trader. But he knows nothing about numbers. And so right now he's struggling. Can't even get an internship. And then, you know, uh, trying to... And the reason why he's turned from soldier to trader is because he wants to prove himself to this girl. To make it rich so that he can be accepted. Now this is the story of someone who is not a Christian. And so in Jesus saving us, in Jesus coming to us and saying, My blood has washed away your sin. The wrath of God no longer standing above you. You can now be accepted. You are now approved. You can now come to the table and eat with God. He says this to us. So we need not fall into that trap that I just described with this soldier of seeking righteousness somewhere else. But the reality is we do. We do. And one of the ways it comes up so clearly is you and I come and even though the Bible again and again and again and again says those who are in this church, saved by the blood of the Lamb, we are still corrupt, depraved, dirty, impure sinners. Yes, we are saved. But we are, our hearts, still deceitful, still black, still corrupt. We still sin. We are not pure. And yet you and I come every Sunday and you and I pretend that we are pure. We pretend that we have no struggle. And the reason we do that is because we are one leg standing on our own righteousness. And so the cry of the believer here in this passage is, I rejoice, I delight greatly so to stand on the righteousness that Jesus has given us alone. And I don't need to pretend. Let me on record say that I am a failure as a father. I am a failure as a husband. And I do fail you as your pastor. But that is not how I am justified. That is not how I find my approval before God. I can with confidence come before God because the servant Messiah bled and died for me 
and I want to rejoice, I want to delight, I want to say His blood is enough. It is enough for me, it is enough for you. Let us rejoice, delight, boast, not in our achievements, our accomplishments, but boast in Jesus and His cross alone. So let's not pretend. Let's come, let's be real, let's encourage each other. May God help us. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.